Welcome to Question Block, Money, Success, Fame, Glamour Edition. We're talking about the history of NYC nightclubs. Thanks, Frog Speaker. Trying to look our best. Thank you. I'm looking for those listening to this podcast. Who are off, you? Thanks for listening. I am a, so I'm, I'm going to describe my outfit to them. So I've got these big frame uh, Jeff Goldblum style glasses and uh, a very cool art piece that looks like a can of Campbell's tomato soup on my uh, black, black, it should be a turtleneck. We'll say it's a turtleneck. It's summer. Sure, <laughs> but it's summer. Um, so I'm Andy Warhol, a famous uh, New York City artist and nightlife impresario. And who are you? Where can the people, where can the children find you? Oh, I'm, you could find me at, uh, I believe I'm still Dr. Dot Wires on Instagram and some version of that on Mixcloud, Soundcloud, you know, the clouds. It's iCloud. Come check my drive. Whatever. And who are you? I'm Arielist. Um, I have this like daddy hat on right now, and yeah, that's a daddy hat. Yeah, and a cut crease and some uh, uh, bejeweled. Did you extra? You put an extra little chain on it. Yeah. So you put a chain on your chain. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going for like, like an aquari- a DJ you. DJ Aquaria kind of look right now it's a fantastic it's sort of a club kid look yeah yeah could totally see you at, I feel like at these, the limelight yeah these hats in are the very, 80s yeah very sad very like, biker i'm hat. the i'm the conductor of this party it's, like i feel like a biker hat or tra- yeah train conductor hat. yes <laughs> yeah we like to run trains here in this nightclub with so with consent on, of course we keep them on schedule yes um, yeah, so we were going to talk about the history of New York City nightclubs, and for research for this uh, episode, I read the book Night Fever, Designing Club Culture, from 1960 through today. Thank you, Evan. No, I got it from my dad, actually. Oh. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Uh, yeah, because he, he knows we're building a nightclub. We'll hold it up for the kids. It's a, it's a tome. It's a serious yeah. book. Yeah, um, it's a big book. It has a ton of, uh, it's, I think it's cultivated from a bunch of museum exhibits, so it's got a bunch of cool pictures. Wait, museum exhibits of nightclubs? Yeah, because as we'll talk about, the discotecture uh, is a very important part of nightclubs, the modern nightclub. Your architecture has to work with your visuals and your lights and your sound and the people. Yeah. It's a holistic. And, uh, for my research, when I was like a baby, when I was like sixteen, um, I just lived in the club. So, yeah. Yeah. So Ariel Ist is also uh, you're a, a f- like firsthand source for a lot of the stuff we'll be discussing tonight. Yes. Because you were there. The the newer stuff, <laughs> because famously I'm very young. Yeah, the post twenty fifteen things. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, but so we'll, when we get to like, uh, when we're talking about like the, the 2000s, 2010s, you can, you can tell us some first-hand accounts, which would be good. Yeah. You can name some names of people in the club. 
Yeah. Also, I I mean, I watched like the rise and fall of hipster, of hipsterdom. It was more around 2007, 2008. Yeah. You were there when they came up with the idea for Vice Magazine, I believe. No. And you were also there. <laughs> I was born when they <laughs> came up with like, the idea okay, for right. Vice Magazine. Born, like Athena. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I burst I burst out of the, the head of Vice. Nice. Um, yeah, so we'll let's start. We'll go we'll go like a little chronologically and we'll skip around. Yeah. So I'll, since I read the the book that started in the nineteen sixties, I'll I'll start. Because nightlife has been around forever, right? Since there were since there was night, there's been <laughs> there's been life, life. <laughs> like, like like the bad class presentation. Since the sunset, since the what sunset, mean you know, the sunset of time instead of the dawn of time. Get it? Yeah. And so uh, we're gonna we're gonna kind of skip over and not focus on because there's so much history of like dance halls and like places to go see live music at night and places to gather at night. Uh, hello, Remnick. Stop, Remnick. Uh, Remnick can check in in the, when we hit the two, 2010s era of Webster Hall because he was also Word? a first first yes. person witness. Um, yeah, but so we. Uh, oh, I was saying that the the we're gonna skip over kind of like like prohibition era jazz clubs, but we like that concept of sort of a private club where you'd go to see live music. Potentially, there'd be dancing uh, and serve drinks. Like, kind of got going around prohibition when you had speakeasies yeah. and speakeasy culture. We'll save that for the 1920s gangster episode. Yes. Um, and then, you know, variously there's been like prohibition or temperance movements to break it up. There's been organized crime associated with nightlife. Well, um, there still of, is. Like, there still is. A lot of, how do you think we're but it's also how do you think we're paying for consistently a nice a great place for marginalized cultures or people to meet each other and to organize, uh, and to like for music and culture to develop. Uh, but what we'll really talk about is where it got started really like post World War II. Um, and really like kind of around the time of the hippie, the hippies. So in this book, uh, it points out, uh, it, it believes the birth of like the modern nightclub where you're mixing your architecture with your like dancing with your DJs, your sound systems, everything is in Italy. It pinpoints in the early sixties. Okay. But we don't care about that. No, <laughs> I'm just going to say two sentences. So there was a, a one of the first, uh, Italian nightclubs was called the Piper. Uh, maybe it's. It's different in Italian. I don't know. This book's in English. Uh, and so then they, it became shorthand for just nightclub in general. So they're just called the Pipers or the Radical Pipers. Uh, and it, because in Italy, they had very few public spaces post World War II or like places for people to gather. So they would have like street parties and block parties all the time with live music. And then people started putting together nightclubs around that. But now we'll jump over to New York City. So widely cited is like one of the first like discos. This idea of an immersive party environment that lasted 12 hours uh, was uh, David Mancuso, who was a a free spirit kind of hippie. He was very, like, influenced by, uh, like, Timothy Leary and, like, the... And we all know what that means. He was was licking some stamps, maybe. Yeah, what was was the... uh, LSD was the acronym for something else. Love Saves the Day. Love Saves the Day parties, that's right. Yeah. Um, So Mancuso started throwing these 12-hour-long parties in his loft building where he lived uh, in, like, Manhattan. And uh, he really, like, yeah, you would take acid. It was themed. The party was 12 hours. It was, like, he paced the whole party to match your trip and the vibe. So it, like, started slow, get get faster and everything. He had a disco ball. 
He had cool lights, and then he really loved children's birthday party style decorations. Yeah, I, I was like, "Ooh, <laughs> that yeah. almost that almost good." Children's <laughs> style, decorations. so colorful balloons, um, and what he would like put snacks out on the tables. It was like bananas and like gum. And like, oh my god! Like I didn't know candy. about the gum. Hi. Yeah, and he gave everybody gum. What was the name of the space? So, because I live in a loft building, they called it the loft. Oh my god! I know. Copycat. That's what I was saying. He's he came forward in the future and nicked our style. But, How uh, dare! But also, like the idea that some you know some uh, friendly guy starts inviting all their friends over to have parties in a loft apartment that's very artistic and cool. And it catches on and becomes a regular thing and then ends up changing the culture of the world. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yes! Um, so, so that's like in the... It's regarded because, I mean, a, a lot of stuff like you hear about it because influential people and a ton of artists went to those parties. Um, but then the, the real commercialization of like a discotheque or like dance clubs um, that following that same vibe where you wanted to have in a, like a totally immersive party sequence or like night uh really kicked off then with like studio 54 which was opened its doors in 1977 so let's let's pause there for a second talk about studio 54 let's talk Should about we? studio 54 okay so who started studio so 54? uh it's ian schrager and what's rubel's first name rubel steve rubel yeah i think it's steve mm-hmm. rubel um so they met in college we're friends ian schrager was a lawyer uh, Steve Rubell was a restaurateur. And they both ran a bunch of steak lofts. Steak lofts? Yeah. What's a steak loft? It's like a loft where you can go eat steak. <laughs> really? Yes. They did, and then they and then they met, I forget who the creative... I like Airbnb invented that. Wow, that's right? great. <laughs> Sounds like an Airbnb experience. Everything old is new. Yes. All right. So, I forget who the creative person was but oh it was a a woman actually and I totally forgot her name um but she she had like the creative idea for Studio 54 and they were kind of like the backers for it oh really yeah I think her name was like Peggy something okay because there a lot of like famous names came out of there right because you know as part of like or Carmen Okay. Maybe it was Carmen. Peggy or Carmen. Or Peggy Carmen, you know. <laughs> okay. I like so, it. This is about as accurate as our research gets. Um, yeah. Okay. So then around around the same time, but a year later, Mike, Michael Brody launched Paradise Garage. And no, we're, we're talking about Studio All 54. Right, do, all right. Keep going. Everyone so, wants to know about it. All right. So what made, why do people still remember it? Why does anyone? Because no one could get in. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. That's like, you know, because. They so had a great line. There was so many people would talk about it. Because it was like an of uh, the forbidden fruit, like the unknown. Because um, the door person, it was interesting for the opening that there were thousands of invites sent out, but then the door person was told to curate the perfect um, balance of looks and you know people. So the first night, a lot of really famous people were turned away. So famously, Frank Sinatra. He was turned was, away. Was turned away and not allowed to. to but Trump enter. allowed in. Oh. Um, I think Brooke Shields was Brooke Shields was was eleven years old and she was covering the event with um, 
some I I forget some old older person. They were like mm-hmm. the Joan Rivers and and daughter okay, <laughs> kind of nice. deal. So Brooke so, Shield, eleven year old Brooke Shields got in. So what made it so cool, by the way, as a club, it was opened in a former uh, like theater, um, like like music theater or whatever, like a you know playhouse or something. And so they had the, I think, very brilliant idea that they the sort of stage orchestra pit became the dance floor and all the seating was like around it and above it. Um, and then the DJ was like right in the center. So the everybody wasn't staring at the DJ as if on a stage. It really encouraged people to all like merge together. To look at each other and, and what each other. people were wearing. So here are a couple of things that could get you in your, um, your, your footwear. You had to have good shoes. Mm-hmm. You had to be well-groomed mm-hmm. if you were a male, I'm assuming, you know. Um, sometimes, sometimes kind of like n- nobody-ish people got in if there weren't enough of them. Mm-hmm. Also, a lot of horses got in. So, <laughs> yes. Bianca Jagger, for her birthday, she wrote, she came in naked on a white horse and they released doves, which sounds, I would have been out. I would be like, no, thank you. Do you want doves flying around your no. nightclub? No, I don't, yeah, no. <laughs> I, okay. I go to nightclubs to escape them. Okay. <laughs> that is the so, number one reason. Yeah, but pretty so, sick party, you got a horse walking around. Someone... Place. You know, someone who had been dying to get in a couple of weeks later was like, oh, okay, I'm going to bring my horse to the club and get on it naked. Kind of misreading the situation there. It's, it wasn't the horse. It was the... Well, it kind of was the it horse. Was the novelty. kind of was the horse because the door person told this woman no, but they let mm. the horse in. Nice. The horse Just behaved great. himself. The horse behaved himself. Yeah. Yes, and the bartender said, why the long face, friend? And the horse said, well, you know, heroin's named after me. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, so it had a it had a great setup. Uh, everybody was on cocaine and amphetamines as well. There was, there was, like, a lot of just, like, not PDA, just people having sex, like, in public at the club, too. It was sort of, like, notorious, I guess, for that. Um, but it was very much a... The, almost the opposite of the loft, of Mancuso's loft, where it wasn't this, like, communal experience. It was super American celeb culture obsessed, right? Yeah. And, like, the press loved taking photos of just... in the line forced celebrities and everybody else had to wait in line together, too. So it was very leveling in, yeah. in that aspect. So they got a ton of press, because every night, if you were a page six photographer, you just go look at the mm-hmm. line for Studio 54. You Okay, so Michael Musto... Mm-hmm. Fame, famous columnist uh, for the Village Voice, who we'll talk about again later. Talk about Party Monster. Mm-hmm. He could never get in. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. He's like, I never got in. Um, and he would wait online. He was like, I would just wait online and take pictures because I they never let me in. Yeah, he probably looked like a schlub. I mean, do you know what Michael Musto looks like? No. He kind of looks like an owl. <laughs> he's really cute. Oh. Okay. He wa- he's in our neighborhood like all the time. I'll point oh. him out next time. Yeah. Right. Yes. He has taken my picture before. Okay. <laughs> so they had a very, yeah. they also had a very, there's photos of the setup in there and they did have like a ton of like big tables for a nightclub. A bunch of like. Yeah. Okay. Six, no one cares about tables. <laughs> but there's a lot of photos of like Warhol sitting, holding court. With, like, yes. Bunch of people that's what they him, care about. And that's who I am. Ish. Um, but you're right. Also, bef- 
pre-Studio 54, Warhol was involved in also like a nightclub called Dom, D-O-M, for the, what is it, the plastic exploding yes. something that was like, like his band played at some other, like previous nightclubs prior to like Studio 54 where it all came together. Um, and then, so Studio 54 is happening very celeb-obsessed. Can we talk about Paradise Garage? Yes. Which opened a year later in 78. And Paradise Garage was much like, uh, more like, I don't know, I guess subculture focused or like uh, their most famous resident DJ, David Levon, is like a, you know, black guy uh, and was much more like, uh, like, like queer and gay friendly. Um, and so it kind of like, it was much more community focused in that sense. Uh, although you see photos of the two and there's like the photo of like, yeah, the, the garage definitely looked like a garage. And it was, I think, set up in a former parking garage. So it, like, did not have the glamour of Studio 54, but it sounds like it was a way, like, cooler party. And then a year later, this is two after, two years after Studio 54, <laughs> it closed. Studio 54 closed. <laughs> and uh, Min, Min Cusco and uh, Shri- Schrager... No, no. Right. Not Mancuso, Schrager and Rubel. Oh, Rubel, right. So the FBI raided Studio 54 and they found $800,000 in cash in bags hidden in the air conditioning system and in, in the basement because it's not... You read various write-ups and they're like, they kept sloppy books. And it's like, no, they're just, they're just avoiding taxes. Well, Ru- uh, Rubel got... So I was, I was listening to this interview with David... Uh, David Bernstein, who is, um, he was a photog- he was a photographer who was allowed in, because mm-hmm. he was attached to a lot of, you know, a lot of famous people were like, come in with me, like, take my picture. And he said that he watched Steve go from a very together guy just down this, like, drug path. Yeah, it probably doesn't help if you're partying every night doing. And he said, this is what got them busted. He said, if the IRS... Uh, if the IRS, like, knew how much money we were actually making, they would shut this place down, and we'd both be in jail. And that was printed. I forget what newspaper, but someone goes, oh, really? Yeah, don't, don't say that. Don't say that. Well, the FBI must have gotten a tip. I mean, somebody was putting the cash in the bags and hiding it, too. So maybe they got a tip, and that's how they knew to go in and look for it. Yeah. But anyway, pay your taxes. Yeah, that's why we're doing this um, theme. That's how we picked the theme, because tax... Season it's is actually, upon us, you know. It actually got delayed this year. It's, it's upon us. It's upon <laughs> <Okay>. us. <laughs> yeah. It's coming. Mm. You still have time. Yes. So. So we got Paradise Garage. Oh, I was going to say that. One one key thing I do want to call out is uh, this uh, great audio designer named Richard Long, uh, got his own company, uh, designed the sound systems for both Studio 54 and Paradise Garage. And Studio 54, it was regarded as like a very solid sound system, but Paradise Garage was legendary. I'm just reading accounts. I wasn't there. Um, And so uh, as part of what uh, Long like developed, he actually called them the Levon Horns, named after the resident DJ at Paradise Garage. So it's cool to have a speaker named after you. That's cool. Um, And yeah, it's like... I don't know, it's neat. The, the history of sound system design, that will be another much nerdier podcast that we won't get into now. Um, but that name, Richard Long, is like, and like the people who worked for him now are still designing and like broke off and started their own companies. And it's kind of a whole thing in the world of like audiophile club sound systems. Oh, that's awesome. Pretty sweet. 
know that. Yeah, very super influential. Super influential. Yeah. Okay, so we got we. What else? What else? What else we got? So we we just got up to the point where uh, yeah, Schrager and Rubel went to went to uh, jail for fifteen months, which is like slap on the wrist, minimum security prison in like Alabama or something. So that sucked. But they get out in eighty one, and they're like immediately like, look, we got arrested for being like too successful at running nightclubs. We're opening another nightclub, and so they did. They what opened a nightclub called Palladium. Oh. And so Palladium opened, I think, like very quickly after. But for Palladium, they went like even bigger, and some say too big, like Icarus. They flew too close to the sun. So they, uh, yeah, Palladium was like a huge, like also a big theater, a former theater that they turned into a, a nightclub, but it was like way bigger. And it was uh, really, a, you see photos of the building, a gorgeous like 1920s, like, cinema almost theater i guess right so like really like i don't know the crown moldings the sculpture all that stuff it looks like miami it reminds me of miami well what they did which i thought was annoying apparently people both claimed that everybody wanted to work with them after they got out of prison because they were very successful but tax cheats and people claimed no one wanted to work with them so they hired a japanese architect who like no one in new york knew to design the new club they got uh, all like the very famous artists of the early 80s so like to to do art in it so like behind the bar was like Basquiat like all over behind the bar like they had a giant Keith Haring mural on the oh, main yeah. dance floor and they had the Japanese architect didn't change the exterior of the building and he put this insane sort of white girder system in the middle of it this minimalist weird architecture yeah. um, and they had giant arrays they didn't have LED screens at the time they had just like TVs, but like giant, like 30 TVs, like in a giant square hanging from the ceiling. Um, but people didn't like it, right? They were like, no. Right? Well, it was a mix of, oh, and they had an absolutely amazing staircase, which was okay. like the highlight. But what did people think? Reviews were mixed. Okay. A lot of people thought it was garish and like it didn't, for whatever reason, like, yeah, they didn't it like intimate. it for one reason or another. It wasn't intimate. It was like a big, you know, like Studio 54 was kind of, even though it was in a, it it was in the like 50s, uh, it it was still kind of secretive. And this was like, I'm here. Well, once you got in, you were like, you know, there were lots of little areas off the dance floor to go and like, you know, do coke and hook up with someone. Yeah, but Um, you weren't spotlighted. And it had like a super sweaty dance floor too. That is a funny fact what I read about Studio 54. They Somebody was quoted and they're like, I don't think they ever once used the air conditioning. Because I guess yeah. it was just, but, they, but they kept it really warm. What people liked about Studio 54 was that they were celebrities. Like that was oh, the yes. start of like nightlife celebrities. With, and it, with, poli- with, with, with a, Warhol's motif, who was yeah. a regular patron there. Y- yeah, that, he had the 15 minute mm-hmm. of fame quotation, right? So uh, I feel like in a bigger club with more nooks and crannies no one's as special you know so people didn't like that yeah so what else do we have in this this first wave so palladium didn't right now we're into the early 80s palladium didn't really like like kind of a cool reception i guess or a a lukewarm reception for people and it like never quite took off so i will say though uh like to their credit for for uh schrager and rubel is that they had a ton of activist stuff and so the Right, 80s was beginning of sort of like the the AIDS pandemic. 
the crisis. Um, um, also, the disco sucks movement and just a lot of, you know, shitty things happened in the 80s. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a recession in America, Reagan getting elected, but like AIDS starting to like kill a bunch of people in nightlife. So it became this sort of dark yeah. period um, in the late 70s through the 80s. And they actually were very activists. They had a ton of art shows. They raised a ton of money for different, like, charitable causes. Um, so, yeah, Palladium 4, it's, like, it's run of, like, it lasted, like, several years, but then, like, went to different owners and gradually, like, became not, like, a, a thing. Um, did do, like, good work, good, like, activist work in this time. In a way, like, the disco vibes ended in the eight and ended in they 80. Really in the late, like, kind of 79. Because... Almost. Yeah, they went from this thing of like of love and sequins, and it it turned into this like music had to be rebellious, and the sequins turned into like safety pins, and it got a lot more edgy. Well, we can talk about too the like uh, right Saturday Night Fever at both like in which came out in like early '79, both brought disco to like the consciousness of larger America outside of like Detroit, New York, but also ruined it, and it associated. A bunch of corny stuff that John Travolta did. So like the the light up floor, which Studio 54 did not have. White polyester suits, which most people didn't wear. Well, um, they did, but not in New York City proper. This was like a lot of the Jersey clubs. Well, there people were... saw Saturday Night Fever and were like, oh, that's, that's disco. Yeah. And that so yeah, it became these markers for the the culture, which like I, I guess that happens anywhere, you know, anytime yeah. a movie is made about a thing, but I mean, that is, a lot of people think that that, you know, it wasn't going on, but there were tons of clubs that were doing that in New Jersey and Long Island. And um, yeah, it was kind of a parody of those. This is also very much, I mean, right, this is pre-internet where you could find information readily. If it wasn't printed or on television on the nightly news, you didn't hear about it. So their subcultures could get a lot farther before they became. Yeah well-known and so saturday night fever was actually supposed to be like a sort of a gimmick like almost like disco exploitation movie they're like oh people who like disco will go see this movie uh and instead it was a surprise hit and so they which like kind of made travolta's career uh but yeah they didn't they didn't expect that it would do that well and then it became this cultural phenomenon which also ruined the music movement it was about well yeah i don't i don't know it it ruined it there was a lot of racial so there was a backlash for the the in Chicago, not one of the worst cities. Just kidding. Ah! Uh, but a backlash in Chicago to disco, uh, headlined by a rock radio station DJ, the Disco Sucks movement, and they had a what was it, in in Comiskey Park or whatever. They had a big uh, disco demolition derby where they burned a bunch of disco records. Yeah. In late '79. But that that was a very racial racially charged situation because. Basically, that radio station was like, "This isn't rock, you know. This is like we like we don't we don't want to play this it's music not, anymore." It's not the boss. It's not Springsteen. <laughs> We're gonna. Yeah. Disco also had been as major label record companies tend to do had like been like become very homogenous and similar. So, an example is that the oh. the, the two singles in the summer of ninety of seventy nine were what, "Rock the Boat" and then like "Rock My Baby." Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, it's the same criticism people make of pop music today. Yeah. Or any any music, basically. 
So what happens then? So we'll talk about the response. In the mid eighties, then there's a a club called Area, and like I mean, there's always celebrities in. Wait, we're going to start off with Area. I thought that was kind of the Area and Limelight are the two. We're going to talk about Limelight. No one cares about Area. I think Area was before them. Yeah, yeah. Area Area got started in the early eighties. Limelight was late eighties, right? So there's this guy Peter Gation, who I'm so I think he's so funny. To talk about All right. so entertaining. Okay. Peter Gieschen is Canadian. He loses an eye when he when as like a teenager when he's playing hockey. You know, you're right. He has the best biography of any nightclub owner he ever. Damn well does. All and right. people don't know about C- it. Continue. I, you're right. They think that that eye patch and party monster is just like a cute thing, but like he legit did not have an eye. He lost, and the the eye patch sort of signified his wealth and his uh, sort of his triumph over adversity because he, yeah, he lost an eye playing. Stick it was ball. like stickball, stick which I'm like Canada, you're trash. I like Catholic school. Yeah, I'm like Canada, please. So he he won a settlement. He got. I think it was like twelve. It was like twelve thousand dollars, or that's yeah. yeah. It wasn't. A, it was twelve thousand dollars. He was in in nineteen in like nineteen eighty or nineteen nineteen seventy, I guess. Okay. So it with inflation, it would be quite a bit more today. And he and it was in Canada, so you know, they were I don't know they were poor that time. Right. Well, he didn't come into a time, so, but he made enough so money. So he, he said, okay, I'm going to take this money. Store. He opened up a pants store called The Loft once again. <laughs> the, it's a great The bird. Loft. You got Ann Taylor The Loft, loft comes up. his jeans yeah. store called The Loft. The Loft, which is basically like Canadian Gap. Yeah. And it did very well. And then he said, you know do what? You know, do you know if they're still open? No, I don't know. Okay. I hope they are. Let's do a trip up to up to Kit, yeah. Yeah. A. Yeah. So uh, he opened up this jean store, and he was like, "You know what? Though I really want to get into the nightclub business." So he opened up margins. Yeah, because oh, because he bought jeans for like four dollars, and he sold them for eight, and he was like, "I know that like the bartending nightclub industry, the margins are better, so I'm gonna do that." So he opened up a nightclub called the Limelight. He actually opened up two limelights in different places in the country. So I think the first one was in Florida. The Miami limelight. The Miami limelight. And that one was pretty cool. But then he was like, okay, I'm going to get closer to New York. Wait. Wait, wait it's, the Georgia, it's the Georgia one that has all the, the swag. Can you tell me about the Georgia limelight real yes. quick? Yes. So he's like slowly. It's in Atlanta. He's got a hot Atlanta. Yeah, a hot Atlanta. He's what? like slowly moving closer to New York. He's he's got his he's got his eye on the, this man the knew, one eye. He's this got man his knew eye. How to do installations in nightclubs? He's got his eye on the prize. So Atlanta had a glass floor, and first under the floor he had a, a panther under there. There's a live panther under the glass, walking floor. around, and the ASPCA was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> so he was like, okay, fine. So he put Panther kept eating employees, probably. <laughs> I mean, I think it was fine, but like the ASPCA, they were they were pissed. So he got, he got rid of the Panther, and he got he got he got a uh, topless broads. Yeah, to wearing, swim around wearing mermaid tails. 
and then they couldn't hold their breath for that long and they would die and it was a whole thing. So then he got sharks mm-hmm. with lasers. When he got yeah, so the floor with like sharks swimming around under. Yeah, how freaking floor. cool is that? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's the kind of thing you'd go in there and you'd be like, "This is so tasteless and stupid," but it's like, it's so awesome. It's so and cool. And then you'd like lay on the floor and like look at the sharks. Yeah, it's that is like the coolest thing ever. So, and um, Warhol gave this club his blessing. I think it was at the opening ceremony and. You know, he was, he was, he was into... And he loved that kind of shock value. Yeah, he was that like, I am like, a fan. It's campy and stupid and like awesome all at once. It's pretty great. Yeah. I'm kind of like, you know that he, uh, he wasn't spending a ton of time on his, on his art. Because <laughs> he was oh, like... Warhol? And the, yeah, because I know that he used projectors to, to do a lot of his... <laughs> he was art. He was true. And his life was art. True. So. True. I stand corrected. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so much of, like, I mean that honestly, actually, so much of what Warhol did was, wasn't just, just visual art, himself. it was just an analysis of, like, celebrity culture and trying to reflect it in some way, so he's yeah. kind of half sociologist in his own way, as you can tell from my soup can, the fact that I am him right now. Yes. Uh, but he he was a, a pretty brilliant commentary on, like, what was going on at the time. So, he loved this, he loved the sharks, he was a, he was a big fan, so there was this there was a church. Not too and, far from where we're filming this episode. Yeah. You, you can see behind us from the skylines. Exactly. It's just over there. Just at, over there. Sixth uh, Avenue and 18th? 20th? No, it's like 20, it's like 20th. Okay. 22nd. It's between 20th and 22nd, I think. Or, yeah. <laughs> There's now Grimaldi's. Yes. <laughs> at that location. So this, yeah, this church was a historic landmark and it had also been a, like a, a rehab, rehabilitation place. It had also been kind of like an artist community. It had been vacant. And in 82, Peter Gation bought the limelight, or he named it the limelight, but he bought the, I think it was like the Covenant. Covenant. It, it is really funny house. that he just he used bought the it. same name for all his clubs. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what you do, as we know. Yeah. Don't change the thing that's working. Yeah. He bought it for... I think seven seven million dollars. Yeah. The, the equivalent. Oh no, no, no sorry, 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 sorry. One point seven, one point seven million dollars. Back then. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And it's it's a block of Manhattan real estate. So that's that's got that's that'd be like ten million today. And he, you know, he uh, he totally revamped it and. Tandem Farm. Oh what's hey, up? what's up? We talking about nightlife. Talking about so, the limelight. Okay. The limelight, yeah, he he really... He didn't revamp that didn't, much, though. He kept a lot of the church interior, yes. which is what you do when well, you want a great nightclub. You find the coolest space, and then don't touch it. Just so, put a nightclub in. Yes. Ooh, so we we are going to take some guests a little bit later after we get through the history. We've got to get our facts out. Okay. Facts, facts, facts. Just just letting the, the okay. children know. So, so, so how did limelight go? Well, no, so <laughs> I was going to say he revamped it in that there was... The stained glass window, they had, like, a light show behind Jesus. These things really appalled. Like, they really upset a lot of people. I didn't realize, like, how attached people were to churches. Because there is a ceremony. There's a formal, like, ceremony that you do to, like, de-churchify a church, which had been done. So. Oh, no way. Yeah. So, like, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't 
sacrilegious, he was like, yeah, I'm, this is now oh, a nightclub. He de churchified DJ Karen, what's up? Hey, what up? We're talking about the limelight. Yeah. And Party Monster. We're about to talk about Party so, Monster. Can we just fast forward to when he met this young, young promoter named Michael Alig? Yeah. So, and Michael Alig moved from some bumblefuck place, and uh, he wanted to throw a party at the limelight. Originally a danceateria. He hung yeah. a danceateria, met people in the scene, got connected, and he was, well, much like Peter Gation, a man who would put fucking sharks or topless women under a glass dance floor, like, Michael Alig was, like, very on that vibe. Yeah. So he was like, I have even crazier ideas for how to promote parties. Yes, so he he had a disco two thousand was one of his parties. So he was the his was the invention of the club kids is really what Alig is like known for, and so unlike uh, Studio Fifty Four where they had like celebrities who were Listen. famous or whatever waiting in line or whatever, and then everybody got to be like famous on the dance floor or whatever. This uh, is a Peter Gation thing that Peter Gation is like. The concept of a club kid is someone yeah. who is famous just because of going out. They're just famous in nightlife itself. And so even, which now is, I mean, celebrities today is like, borrows a lot from that concept, I guess. You're famous There's just because of, of what you do and how you live. It's funny, there are tons of New York nightlife celebrities that like, even if you don't know your their name, like you know them. You're like, oh yeah, it's that person. Like who? <laughs> Me. You. <laughs> Uh, I mean, no, um, uh, Amanda Lepore, Amanda Lepore be, be Sophia like, Lamar, RuPaul, RuPaul, Suzanne Barsh. Paul got her start in the yeah, 80s Lady club Bunny. Scene. Yeah, a lot of DJs. There's, oh, uh, well, I mean, the DJs, the DJs, not so much because you, here's what I consider a club, a club kid or a nightlife celebrity versus a DJ or okay. that, that you, like a page, like a regular person, pedestrian person won't like, like you would go pay to see a DJ mm-hmm. and maybe you would pay extra to go to a club because you knew that a certain like nightlife person went there, but you're not going to like oh, MTV VJs is a good comparison. Some people will pay to go to a club because like the situation is at the club. You're going there just to be there around them. They don't, they're not putting on like a, they're, they are a show. You're not like buying tickets to their mm. show. Show. Good point. Good point. Like they are the show. You're just you're right. And the, go, the DJs you know. actually have a discernible skill, whereas a lot of club kids they don't actually they, well, sing or dance necessarily. They're just they don't have a musical skill, but they true. it is a skill to like look different and to your performance art. I suppose. Yeah, they they're like we're all their art. Yeah. So where art? So the limelight. Uh, very similar to Studio 54, history repeating itself, got in trouble again for... They got in trouble for drug use, yes, but that's not what did them in. Much like Al Capone, it's your taxes. Pay your fucking taxes. So I'm like, got, got caught and shut down. They got shut down for a week by the NYPD for drug use in the club. Immediately got reopened because it wasn't their fault. Um, and they were like doing what they could to mitigate it. It was because they didn't pay their taxes. So... Uh, Peter Gation eventually did get deported, actually, back to Canada. Yeah. Uh, as a, a tax evading felon. I think... Did he pass away? 
Or he's still he's know. still out there, I think. He might be back. Anyway. Guess who's back in the house? Call Peter into Gation. this podcast. If you're out there, Peter Gation. Um, We're looking at you. But yeah, do you want to talk about... Well, he also, by the way, had a, a second act, kind of like Warhol doing... Or not Warhol, like uh, Schrager doing Palladium. Uh, Gation started Club USA, which was like... But he had a ton of clubs, though. He had... He had Tunnel. Oh, he did start a Tunnel. Yeah, he started Tunnel, which is like um, the first like n- like famous hip hop club. Tunnel was like white shoes, white tees kind of deal. Uh, it is was in... done by a Canadian guy who sold jeans. Started that club. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, very hip hop and like it's in Kids. It's the you know the movie Kids. Yeah. Um, where uh, Chloe Sevigny's like looking around for. She's trying to find Casper. Casper, but instead she does E. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's um, a tunnel. Yeah. So that that kind of like brings us into the I guess night. Club USA looked so cool. They had a slide. Club USA had a giant slide. Like a tube slide that looked awesome. And um, I keep wanting to call him Macaulay Culkin, but Michael Alleg, he was uh, promoting Club USA too, and for that he made a bunch of playing cards. With uh, with the different club kids on them or trading cards. You can still go to Cafeteria, the restaurant, and they have a lot of club kids, actually. On the menu. On the menu. Yeah. That's it looks very, very cool. similar. And my when I lived in McKibben in, like, 2007, we, my roommates and I made, we made some cards of ourselves. And for those listeners, the McKibben loss, much like... David Mancuso's Loft in 1970 was in a little sort of bohemian artist's, uh, not paradise, but dump. I guess they called it Art Dorm, uh, an informer textile factory. And Ariel and I actually both lived there yes. at different times, about three years apart. But um, um, it, that in itself was a cool, like, yeah. hotbed of creativity and parties. And that itself spawned some venues. Yeah. Some New York City night Some lofts. Some other so, lofts. So we'll just say about the 90s, unfortunately, one of the worst things happened to New York City nightclub life is that in 93, Giuliani became mayor of New York City. Yeah. And that motherfucker, like, shut down a ton of clubs. So he basically, yeah. there are a bunch of very old laws still on the books that weren't enforced about the cabaret laws, um, which were from, like, Prohibition when they used them to shut down speakeasies. So stuff like if if you were a Wait, bard, you need a special license to have dancing. In your are we not going to talk about the murder? <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we have get to. It. We did a Party Monster episode. We did. Oh, we okay. did, but it wasn't a podcast. So, all right, sorry. I was point. trying to, to jump to where we could take some guests, but let's, no. let's fill them in real quick. All right. What the history? We have so much more history. And we also, yeah, so. Well, the club was limelight, but sure. What happened to Michael Ehrlich? Because, yeah, everyone's true crime obsessed these days, so we have to talk about Michael Ehrlich and his roommate. This is, like, late 90s, right? He was a promoter for a good, like, we said, like, eight, nine years, I think. Yeah. This is, like, around 95. Oh, okay. They, yeah, yeah, they they killed their drug dealer, Angel, and um, they they dismembered him, threw him in the river, and uh, Michael Musto... Right, because mm-hmm. we have to bring this. I said that he was going to come back. Okay. Michael Musto actually kind of broke the story because there were all these rumors. Like people were like, "Dude, what happened to Angel?" Like he he was also a club kid, and they kind of they they kind of made him 
a club kid. You know, they he, they had him wear angel wings, and he really did wear those wings like giant like giant, a, giant angel yeah, wings. Yeah, giant he angel. wore them. And so, like, when that isn't around, you're like, wait, where'd he go? And also, I guess the drugs. That's so what, Michael Elliott also famously he didn't just do parties that limelight. He did right the par- a party in the back of a like a roller disco in the back of a moving truck. Um, McDonald's party at McDonald's party at Mc, like a yeah pop up party at McDonald's. Um, there's um there's a lot of video footage from around this time that he had a bunch of like people with camcorders like his friends and there he pee on the bartenders at, at the limelight. He would he pee like, and like give the drink to people. Yeah, but he um the the party at McDonald's there the, he's in the bathroom and I guess uh, James St James is like oh they're. You know they're they're kind of pissed because we brought like five hundred people in here. And Michael Elig is like, yeah, but we paid the McDonald's. Like, I don't see why they're upset. They, yeah, you we're know? buying like, food. Hello. They did buy food from the McDonald's. Um, they also, you know, they would go on like all the talk shows. At yeah, the time. so so they perfectly coincided with in the like late eighties, early nineties, the rise of like like Maury and Jerry Springer. And like, yeah. Oh, who's the other one? There's TV, a TV talk shows. There's another one. Oh, I forgot. There's another talk show that they were always on that is not around anymore. I forget what it is. Oprah. No, it was like um. <laughs> Maury was the trashiest one. Jerry Springer was pretty like great too, though. Yeah. Um, Geraldo. Geraldo, that's the one. That's the one they were on like regularly. Geraldo's great because he became a serious reporter. Yeah. <laughs> after that, but. So, but yeah, they would just show up and be freaks, and the audience would be like, "How you live like that?" Yeah, and, and they would like, be like, "We love Molly." Yeah, yeah and we gave it to our mom. Yeah, and they would just like pull their pants down, and I'm like, "Oh!" And it was yeah, it was great. And security comes up. Yeah, so Michael Musto w- was publishing like little bits and pieces of the Angel story, and he kind of he. He was kind of <laughs> like breaking right it. Yeah. Well, no, he he hung around them. He went mm-hmm. on Geraldo with them. He, if you uh, watch the old footage, he's no there way. with them. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. He was like with them, and he knew, and he kind of broke the story. And then, of course, Angel's like body <laughs> showed up. <laughs> Serious reporter Michael Musta. It uh, no, he's a Geraldo. He's Geraldo. Saying, yeah. Oh, yeah. It showed up in a reporter. in a box, um, or like his some of his body it's parts. Like, showed Geraldo up. reports on serious events. <laughs> <laughs> so Angel's body shows up, in a washes box. up in a box, yeah. like part of it. Like, and like his left town on a multi-state like heroin vendor. Well, he tries. He tries to leave, but then he needs to get heroin, so that that's how they get them. <laughs> so yeah, because he, he ha- like back. has to go back or something. Um, and uh, but Michael Musto has said because Michael Ailey just passed away uh, at Christmas this year. No, sad. And a lot of people are really, you know, people would say, like, RIP, and then other people on social media were like, don't say that, like, he was terrible. And the thing is, uh, it's going to... So our, uh, uh, our the... friend Sai actually uh, had, had met Michael Eilig Wait. and also knows DJ Kiyoki. Yes, can I finish monster. this thought real quick? What? It, I was, if you want to... That um, Michael Musto was saying that that he's both. Like, he can be both a terrible person, but also kind of revolutionary. Oh, okay. Uh, You know, he said, Michael Musto was like, 
RIP. Um, but the way that he feels about people starting a GoFundMe for his funeral is, we he said, we could just cut him up and put him in a box. Oh. You know? Nice. So, yeah. He's, he's both. He's both, like, a piece of shit, but also... But also was very revolutionary because he was bored with, like, status quo and really pushed the envelope in terms yeah. of To recount Ty's story. But, yes, go on. He he showed up at, a, like, a house party that Ty was at. Um, there was, like, an after party. And then uh, went into a bedroom and put on, uh, like, snuff films and started laughing maniacally. And then, uh, and everybody was like very creeped out and like knew that it was Michael Eilig, but and that was like kind of his story. Oh, and Sai Sai also said he met James St. James. James St. James was at a party that Sai's friend promote like threw in L.A. or something. Some like it was like a like a famous celebrity modeling agency something event, and James St. James still working as a promoter, um, who just then disappeared to go do bumps in the bathroom for the entire duration of the event. So okay. Basically, just these people acting very characteristically for the like. What yeah, we about that's them. what I mean. I guess that's why you just pay them. You pay them to show up. You, okay. you know, that's what they do. <laughs> that's their talent. So that's party monster. Can yeah. We... So let's talk about our experience in the nightlife, and then we can take some some people. Let's take a guess now. We can finish no, up no, with us. No, let's talk we about. Got them. We got them. Mm-hmm. We're, yeah, we're gonna talk. On. We're gonna talk about our experience, and then we'll take a guess. Okay. Some guess at the end. Yeah. No. Well, we're on we're on the the track. Mm. Well, so then, uh, oh, I said I was saying in the in the nineties, Giuliani shut down a bunch of nightclubs as part of cleansing the city, uh, using the cabaret laws basically as like a weapon to make it just like impossible to operate a club by need like basically like right saying that like oh we're actually enforcing the cabaret cabaret law from the twenties, which is if you have more than three people dancing at your nightclub you need a special license, and then refusing to issue any cabaret licenses, for example, and then sending police to raid clubs where people would be dancing. Um, and that was on the books um, until, like, 2017 it finally got repealed because even progressive Mayor Bloomberg found it, like, useful to keep it around, um, and de Blasio, too. It took a long time to get that taken away. But that's kind of why there's sort of a dead zone in our, like, historical chronological coverage in the 90s. Um, and then, you know, uh, 9-11 happens in 2001. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, which like, both united the city, but also like slowed things down for a while. Um, and then we really like pick back up with the club scene around the mid 2000s with the rise of hipsters and yes. famous clubs, uh, famous dance clubs that like kind of came back into the city or that like sprouted up like Cielo. And Webster Hall. Um, and also the venue. There are so many, like, venue venues as clubs. I will say that. We did just skip over. In the 90s, while they shut down all the cabarets, kind of as a response, as you would expect, like, there's still need for music and people yeah. to gather. So, like, so, indie rock clubs became a huge thing DBGBs throughout New York City. And Pyramid Club, RIP, because it just closed. We're going to talk. I mean, like, because I used to work. CGB, Pianos. Santos. Yeah. Santos Party House, great example from the, like, mid-2000s. Yeah. Don Hills from the mid-2000s. I used to work at Lit Lounge, Don Hills, uh, I'm trying to think, Movita, 
Luke and Leroy's. So I was like a go-go dancer at all of those. So I, we are, when we do an indie rock show, we'll really focus in on like kind of the, the Lower East Side and all like the rock well, venues in the 80s and 90s. But since we're sticking with nightclubs, yeah, those we'll are kind of all... jump to the mid-2000s. Yeah. Okay. Um, so go ahead. Since you were there. No, yeah, that's why I'm like, yeah, I want to talk about, because that, that was like, it was also really like interesting time because you could still get, it was like, I think the last time where you could still pretty easily get in underage. Yeah. Because it's like now the IDs are like sideways or something if you're underage. They change the formatting of the ID. Although I don't know, my younger brother. Young wires. Um, he he he's a he had a he had a good fake ID. No, but that was before they rotated them, though. No, he right? had a, no he had a he got a rotated ID. Oh, he he bar he like borrowed it from you get someone. Him, no, you get them from China. You like oh, okay. you submit all the paperwork in like a form on a website, and they like ship you some IDs inside a Chinese toy like a month later, and hopefully they make it through customs. Yeah. So. I it's alive and well. The dark web, as we talked about on a yes. previous episode. Yeah. I, so when was the first time you went to a nightclub? Yeah, yeah. Luckily, they they totally like they rotated some stuff. Some stuff they rotated the IDs. It's uh, it's horizontal if you're over twenty one. It's vertical if yeah. you're under twenty one. And so as soon as you see a vertical ID, you you're like, like no. looking at you look at the date. And they have the scanner like, barcode now too. Yeah. But that's also been cracked by the Chinese hackers. So, so I they had the scanner. They had the scanner when I was frog speaker. Yeah, <laughs> yourself a good fake. They had the scanner when I was going out too. But yeah. and I looked like I was. I mean, I was like fifteen, but I looked like I was five. Mm-hmm. So I t- took a Xerox copy of my passport and I did some like collaging mm-hmm. with the birth date, and then I would just I crumpled it up and I would just hand that to. The person, and they would look at me, and they'd be like, you're kidding, and I'd be like, no. It really and depended on the club, because I went to... Your boy. I lost my license at some point. Your boy. In the early 2012s. <laughs> it really depended. Brooklyn Whiskey, you cannot get in with this anything is, other than your legit passport. This is, this is like 2007, okay. 2008. This Maybe is a recession. Okay, honey. Also, it was so comical because I'm literally telling you, I looked like like a child. And you would be with a bunch of adults. Yeah, and I would hand them this, like, crumpled up piece of paper. Like, it was so shitty and, like, bad yeah. that, like, they were just like, okay, And fine. they would let you in. Well, okay. they, they let me in. So the first club that I ever went to was called Stereo, and it was in the Meatpacking District. And there was this party there called Whip It Wednesdays. And it was by nice. this group called the Rough Club, and it was a bunch of like the R U F F. And now, if you look up Rough Club, it's like a doggy grooming place. <laughs> you tried to check them out. Bro. Yeah, I was like, "What's up with the Rough?" But it was like a bunch of scene, like they're like I don't know what their eyes looked like because they had like the hair down. Mm-hmm. And I remember my friend was like, "Oh, so this club? They this was before I did like the passport thing." This is, like, what made me want to, like, go out every night of my life and, like, be a nightlife person. Mm-hmm. That my friend got us walked in by one of the Rough Club people. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, a Wednesday. And I wasn't wearing pants. And it was, like, the funnest time ever. And they it was called Whip It Wednesdays because they would, every time you walk past the DJ booth, 
dipped it open your mouth and they would just spray like whipped cream in it. And then when they were done with like the whipped cream, you'd get like a whipping. <laughs> like it was like whipping whip roulette. Itself. Yeah. Okay. It was so fun. So I start, I was like, okay, what other parties? So these, like I was just like addicted. So I would go to all the like, there was a, the annex, which was um, on, uh, it was like Stanton and Rivington. It was like that kind of Lower East Side mm-hmm. area. Right by pianos, right by the slipper room. Yeah. And the, uh, these same people, like they, they DJed in the basement there. The irony of DJing the basement. Yeah. And they, that was like one of their things that he had, like, he was like a big, like, Jägermeister per, you know, person. So there's all these, if you look at like, um, Nikki Digital, he still has all the photos from these parties. I was looking at them today and like, uh, yeah, there's always one photo with this dude, like, in the DJ booth with, like, Jaeger, and he's just like, ah, he's, like, pouring it everywhere. Oh, that's gross. Yeah, it was, <laughs> that was so, gross. I didn't, it's so sticky. Yeah. Um, right. And then I went to Lit Lounge to this party called um, Rebel Rebel, and it was a David Bowie-themed party Bowie on, on Tuesdays. I remember that. It was, like, party on Tuesday. And there was a go-go, resident go-go dancer there. And I was like, I'm, I, I just like had it in my head. I was like, I'm going to be resident go-go dancer you were here. Like, you were like 17, right? Yeah. And you're like, I'm going to be the resident go-go dancer. Here. Because I was Rebel. already a go-go dancer at Trash Party, which was at Rafifi's, which is now a Buffalo Exchange on 11th and 2nd. Oh, that's funny because there's a trash bar in Williamsburg. Yeah. But, this right. is Trash Party. Okay. And so that was like a very hipstery, new wave kind of glam rock party. And that was, yeah, it was like kind of thrown by the same people as Rebel Rebel on Fridays and, and Saturdays. So I was a go-go there, but I they didn't have residents. They rotated like every week. So this one, I was like, I am going to be the go-go dancer. So I would just dress like a hoe and then go-go dance <laughs> next to the go-go dancer. And she like she liked to take a lot of breaks. Um, and I didn't. Well, a lot of breaks. Yeah. Yeah. She liked it. Exactly. And I didn't. And eventually I became the resident (laughs) go-go dancer there. Do you want to do this job? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was because there was one day where we were both on the flyer and I was like sick. And then there was one week where I was on the flyer. Oh, nice. And you were displaced. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, I have a whole bunch of other stories, but we can we can take a guess now if if people would like Let's to take a guess. To I guess. don't know if, if DJ Karen's still out there. I would love yeah. to hear his experiences, like where he first started DJing, for example. Yeah, because I don't. He's probably told me, and I forgot. But yeah, I don't remember. So if we have any uh, nightlife people out there, I don't know if I can click the thing or what the deal yeah. is. You should, if you want to check. There we go. All right. <laughs> DJ Karen, if you're decent. Or not. DJ Karen's like, I'm in the shower. <laughs> Listen to us in the shower. I like it. I like it. Hello. What's up? Hello. Hey. Hello. How's it going? Good, good. Just uh, working. Um, we're, doing, uh, we're doing a Disney partnership right now. So I'm actually working on the uh, like packaging that's going to oh. be on these like Disney socks. Yes. So, oh, so this is now a podcast, by the way. So, free. We're going to describe to people yeah. 
What's going on? DJ no, no. Plug, plug your socks on our pod. <laughs> no, tell tell the tell the people oh, in pod. Uh, Bombus, um, sorry, yeah, Bombus socks. Um, that's my. Uh, I work there as a designer, um, and we make socks, the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. They are. Sock that we donate, we sell. Uh, or sorry, every every sock that we sell, we donate a like one to those in the homeless community, um, and we all volunteer. Uh, great. Yeah, great company. Great company. They're yeah. amazing. They are. They're great socks. They're so comfortable, and they don't. Yeah, that they don't have that like annoying seam, like that like toe seam. Oh my god, mm-hmm. yeah. they're so good. Make my feet so happy. <laughs> um, but you're you're also famously a DJ, and uh, we would love yeah. to hear about your nightlife experience. Sure. Yeah. Um, so you're asking where where I started DJing. Um, I actually think it was Arlene's Grocery was where I started um, with uh, Chico and Lollipop. Yeah. I know you are. You guys are friends with. Um, they've done a bunch of appearances uh, with you guys um, at the old Secret Loft. Um, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Chico and Lollipop, or Chico and Lollipop is classic, like in the vein of Die Antwoord, classic sort of like. <laughs> Semi Joe slash super cool dance hip hop group, yeah. and and DJ Karen was her DJ. But uh, Arlene's Grocery is great Lower East Side, kind of like both like club, but also I guess has DJs too and like dance nights. Yeah. I mean they still are; they're open still. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, no, they're um like trying to trying to do well, you know, post pandemic as a lot many businesses are. Um, yeah, wish them the best. Yeah. yeah. When did you when did you first kind of start going out in New York City? Uh, like mid early mid two thousands. Um, like also like yeah, we were talking about uh, Santos Party House. Um, let me see what I'm trying to think of. You mentioned pianos too. Um, were you into more one. more of like a. a like rock live performance scene, or did you go to like dance dance clubs? Were you listen to house music. Uh, you know, back then, probably more like rock and like like punk and hardcore kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Bronx, actually, uh, like Bronx hardcore shows, like Under a Bridge and stuff. I uh, did did some of those nice. in high school, and. Uh, uh, yeah, my girlfriend at the time was like really involved in that scene. She was a really good photographer, uh, photographer actually, um, and uh, she has some incredible photos. Her name is El Perez. Um, really, really great, uh, like nightlife, uh, like punk nightlife, and like queer, like kind of culture photographer. That's awesome. Oh, we gotta look. We gotta awesome, look nice. Up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's really cool. Yeah, I that the the like. The, the hard, the sort of, like, hardcore scene, it's interesting how it, I saw it, like, merge with the, with the hipster scene and just, like, produce, like, the scene, the scene, scene, you know, like, the, because yeah. it had, like, the hair and the plugs that I remember, like, that was, like, the common, the Between common. hipsters and hardcore. This, the, like, very straight, yeah. like, bang yeah. hair and then the, the plug, like, the. Plugs. The plugs. I mean, Skrillex is a great example of. Uh-huh. That how that evolved into you know like current music like metal into you know like just crazy bro stuff you know and uh, uh, 
which is still going now to this day, you know? Still, yeah. and, and like, yeah, that's what that, exactly, that's what that scene has kind of like evolved into. It, it's like the metal uh, slash like goth yeah. kind of. Yeah, but it's like done on computers now, which <laughs> it's just someone getting really yeah. like. Sometimes it's just live instruments still. Sure, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I just, I love that, yeah. like, the thought of like Skrillex like getting like really aggressive, but just like on his his lap. <laughs> it's, it, it is. I mean, it is like adorable. Honestly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you watch him live, and he's like slamming the knob yeah. on his like controller. But yeah, he's like slamming the fader. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta make it look really dramatic. Yeah, twisting that uh, key that DJ attack. key um, DJ move. Yeah, <laughs> twisting your filter like real hard, and you pull back. Like you just whipped, like the yeah. There's an art. There's an art to it, you know, the showmanship, you know. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of comics about like how DJs dance when they're like playing. There's like different moves they do, and there's like the levitating. Oh. <laughs> and there's yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, they, those there's like the thank you DJs will do like the arigato. Oh, like, the thank you. So they put their hands up a little bit, but like. They're limited because they have to keep looking at the board because they need to like hunt down their next song and like cue everything up and right. So like you can't go power that far. patterns. Power patterns though would win my nightlife award for like best dancing while DJing because yeah. yes, DJ he, power patterns famously will come out on the floor. He'll do <laughs> yeah. He'll come out on the floor <laughs> and then he'll like wild. run back. Yeah, or he'll do that. He'll do like a this one, which is like the yeah. fist over fist. <laughs> I don't know. The, the speed bag? No, I'm, I'm sure you do it too, where you'll be like, okay, I have until the next drop to, like, relax, and then I have to, like, get, the like, the next shit queued up. And so you can go, like... Oh, definitely. Like, every, every DJ has got that 10-minute-long song for when they have to go to the bathroom. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, yeah, you, you always have those in pocket. Yeah, you're like, I have 2 minutes, 30 seconds. All right, let's <laughs> You, like, run and, like, come back. Yeah, yeah. exactly. What's the craziest thing you've seen in the night, in the in the nightlife? <laughs> um, th this was this was a this was a viral video. Um, it was at the dirty technically not night I guess, but it was at a dirty bird. It was at a festival, mm -hmm. um, and it was a it was a woman who was lactating and she was like squirting it <laughs> into the crowd. And people were like kneeling down <laughs> and drinking it. <laughs> uh, yes, oh, nutrition. That's pretty great. That's <laughs> amazing. That beats the Jägermeister thing. I'm pouring Jägermeister. There's nothing on that. Yeah. Oh. Man, where's her baby too? I'm like, what was she like a wet nurse? I. <laughs> we know. I mean, we know some people who can lactate on command. You can like keep sure. going. Like if you just like keep. Like keep pumping it, it'll just keep coming. Like yeah. Even after, even after the baby gets, so yeah. Maybe that. Yeah. Well, she hopefully left the baby with a sitter while she went to the yeah. festival, and then this she was like, "Well, I got this extra, and I don't have time to pump, so it's yeah. <laughs> let's, <laughs> pump it, let's pump it. Let's pump it out. Yeah, it's that's, that's great. <laughs> that's amazing. I love like people just losing their minds at the festival, like going for it. Nice. Yeah. No, it is. There is some. Have you ever done design work like flyers or like like uh like promo materials yeah. and stuff? 
Fillmore famously had right posters for every show that they ever had. Would have like an original poster. I think most. I think I think that's still a thing. Like depends yeah, on the club. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if I'm I'm thinking I'm just like the first thing that comes. Well, I mean, we always had posters, right? And then, um, oh, but shout out fifth of November. Yeah. By the way, right? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Your is it collective? Is it a label? Nice. Um, and uh, a collective of artists, and we are working on what the you know what we think the new era of events uh, can can be like. You know, learning things from the last year. Uh, we're thinking about hybrid, you know, live and streamed events. Yeah. Um, you know, continuing to mix, uh, you know, audio and visual, you know, sound, um, you know. In, in the unique way that we always try to do. Um, and, uh, you know, looking forward to working with you guys and, you know, places all over the, the city. Um, you know, we, we've, you know, we've been great partners with you guys for a long time. And, uh, you know, looking forward to the future. You know, really excited for the new spot in Brooklyn. You know, I love seeing the progress on that and everything. Um, so, yeah, very, very excited just in general. Yeah, we are too. There's gonna to be so much room for projections, and if people yeah, want to get the entire ceiling's a big screen. Yeah, but but yeah, in like 2030, when 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 kids are doing the nightlife, like you know, podcast history episode, mm. they'll be like, oh yeah, and in the the post corona boom, yes, of, of of late 2021 through 2022, you know, Secret Loft really emerged in the forefront of. Of the new art discotheque venues, yes. And this this weekend, we're going to be collaborating with you, and we're so excited. Yeah. Same here. Same here. Can't wait. Yeah. Can't wait. So, uh, yeah, really excited for that era. Um, been listening to a lot of Nero. Lately. Yes, I. Yes, I love yeah. Nero so much. I'm like, oh, every everything, all bangers. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Really, really creative epic videos. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So cool. yeah. So we will we will actually see you this this Saturday. Um, For those in of you person. listening on the podcast or out there on Twitch, yeah, we're gonna DJ Karen will be DJing as part of our nightlife themed rave review. Yeah. Set 
starting at 9 p.m. this Saturday. And we're going to revisit, as we just talked through the errors of New York City nightclubs, we'll be revisiting that. So sort of the Studio 54, Loft, Disco era, the kind of 80s, post-punk era, the 90s, uh, Party Monster. I don't even know how to describe that kind of music. It's it's dance just like nineties dance is a thing. Miss Kitten and the Hacker. Yeah, Miss Kitten and the Hacker type stuff. Um and then the the twenty tens Nero, like yeah, Fool's Gold. Yeah. Uh, Diplo era. A track. A track. Yeah, I was gonna say A track duck sauce. Yeah. Yes, yeah. love it. I have I have some really good looks. For the Wolfgang Gardner, yes. yeah. The um, Dead Mouse era. Yeah. yeah. Maybe a little Yaya yeah, Yaz or Phoenix if you find some nice bootlegs in there. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, girl, girl talk should we like girl. touch girl talk? Yes, yes. classic, yeah, yeah classic I mean, girl that talk. Was really unique and crazy. Like that really kicked. I feel like that like kicked off a whole kind of era. Yeah, I don't like know that if, that t- like the TKO like that kind of. I don't know if mashups yeah. were as big in New York City. I was living in San Francisco in like the late two thousands, and mashups were everything. Like girl talk was like the. Yeah, girl talking like all the protégés who like copied it or whatever, and there were like entire clubs where like every other night was like mashup night. Oh, that's like great! Thing. It, I don't remember it being that I wasn't out in like the early, early, earliest. I, I was like probably two, more of a curiosity in, yeah, in New York, maybe. I was like time. out, and I would say my my debut was like two thousand seven, probably. So I don't know if that was after the mashup. No, it was around. Okay. I think there was just a lot of the very yeah, cool. I think a lot of the very cool original music at that time, like the Strokes and the Yaya Yaz, and like all the like cool like yeah Brooklyn and like still Lower East Side, I guess like bands were like coming from New York anyway. So you guys had original music to listen to. <laughs> so cool. funny story. My yeah. dad taught Nick Valenci, the drummer of the Strokes. He went to and. He went to my high school, like my dad taught at my high school. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I guess my dad taught there before I went there. But my you- dad is an English teacher, and he's very serious about about his job. He's like very passionate about it, and he told Nick Valenci that he, he should stop playing the drums and that he like should really focus on on his school on work. English. Yes, yeah, on- <laughs> and then. Wow. The kicker is that there was like some um, construction up the block from my high school, the the lab, the lab school on Seventeenth Street, and they they um, you know they had like the post well people were posting like flyers and stuff, and they just like this it was just covered in strokes flyers. Nice. Yeah. So there you Good go. Flyers. My More. my my roommate's girlfriend, James's girlfriend, has tons of strokes flyers. As yeah. like posters uh, and stuff. There you go. Never, never. Yeah. So you know, strokes that indie rock era, like LCD sound system, was like really like that was kind of like their heyday. Um, yeah. They were really they were awesome too back then. Um, that all sound. Yeah. yeah, Hot Chip, oh my gosh. Hot Chip, hot chip British version. MGMT yeah. from like An- Boston. Animal, yeah. kind Animal, of. Collective. Animal Collective are from, I think, Virginia, Maryland. The, but like, the Ting Tings? <laughs> yeah, for, Ting Tings are from LA, I think. But it's a very, uh, that's not my name. But, yeah, uh, it was a lot of songs were like clapping when it was like a lot of like. Yeah, the Ting Tings was cool because they were two piece. Ratatat, MGMT, but yeah, that, uh, that whole era is Holy Ghost. 
Um, anyway, before the, we get too oh, carried away. Yeah. Got, got, got the knife? The knife. The knife. Oh, the knife was really good, yeah. But, but a huge part of that sound was, I mean, it really did like come from New York City in a lot of ways. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so excited to like relive it with and we'll be with, reliving with it this all Saturday. of you yeah. <laughs> this Saturday. Yeah. All right. Okay, good. so we will see you this Saturday, and we'll we'll continue to talk a little bit about our nightlife experiences. Let's, let us see. Thank you so much for hopping on, Leslie. All right. See you soon. Um, yeah, I have a couple more nightlife stories. Do you have some nightlife stories? You want to go back and forth? Yeah, go ahead. Give us some stories. So, yeah, I also lived with a bunch of DJs, um, Mm -hmm. dances with white girls, dances, what's up? And I lived with a club kid named, her name was Anorexia, her club kid name, right? Mm -hmm. And we would get ready every night. She was, like, much more... Uh, I was, she was way better at club kidding than I, than I was. I was like, I was like, I'm just going to take my clothes off. And that's like how I would. That was your club kid. That was like my thing. What was her thing? She was really good at doing like crazy makeup and she had crazy clothes. And I didn't. You didn't do crazy looks. I did by like not wearing clothes. Mm. So I would just wear like lingerie to the club with like um, a men's jacket. Or I was really into shopping at this store called Baby Talk that was like a little kid's clothing store. Um, I, I got like a Lakers, little boy's Lakers outfit and I would wear that. And I would always wear sneakers because I wanted to be able to dance. So I guess that was like my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I also was really into doing Molly. So people sometimes called me Roller Girl. Oh, that's cute. You know. And you did you ever go to the club on roller skates? In my brain. No, you just wore them at home. Rocking the big dinner plate pupils. Um, oh, I wore a fuck ton of eyeliner. Like, I, had, I was fresh-faced. Mm-hmm. And then I would just, like, just make, like, a giant, like, eye of eyeliner. I would always, if I wasn't go-go dancing, I would always wear black. Um, I kind of had this scene hair, but Anna would dye her hair all different colors, like the manic panic. Our bathtub was always like purple because this girl was like dyeing her hair. Her hands were always like different colors. And she had, a, she was the first person I saw have like a makeup kit, mm. like a toolbox with makeup. And she was always like the glitter and lashes. And I was like, I don't even know how this works. And, uh, you know, we would just, like, we would go out. And she was really good friends with this photographer named Brad Walsh, who um, he had this nightlife scene called Junk Magazine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And. Uh, Where are the zines at? Oh, yeah, the zines and the nightlife photography. That it's was. Very, a very important part of sort of New York it was nightlife huge. culture. Is that, uh... Yeah. Because, and the mission. Oh, we have to talk. Can we talk about the misshapes? Sure. Okay. Let's deal with the misshapes. So this nightlife photography thing, I'm going to, like, shout out Sneaky Digital, uh, Nicola, German by Boredom, um, Last Night's Party. These were all photographers that you would see out, and then the next morning you would, like, rush to their website, and you would, like, scroll, 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 and you were like, where am I, where am I? Before social media. Yeah. Where you had to go to that person's dot com website to see Yes, and you would 
And this is like why it was so like virtuous because you weren't tagged in it. Your name wasn't on it. But you, you were like, I'm there. <laughs> you know, that's you're like, me. that's me in a picture. And um, they all had different styles, right? Uh, so, like, last night's party would always t- – it was always, like, some girl, like, on the floor of a bathroom. Not, like – like, it was posed, you know? But, like, her tit hanging out and, like, she would just be, like, giving eyes. Like, her American apparel, like, unsupportive bra and, like, okay. eyes. They were very – they were very Dove Charney-esque. Yeah. All right, that's a look. And um, not really Brad, ca- none of this capturing what the actual nightclub was oh, like. Oh, that is that I kind of was the vibe, though. Like it was a lot of like sweaty American apparel chicks, like being sluts. Okay, <laughs> taking their tits out, like and then yeah. like boys writing poetry just, with a lip. It was like it was like a hair. It was like hair and mm-hmm. like a lip ring, mm-hmm. and just like a uh, like a pout. That was the guy, and they were they were Byronic. They were they were yeah. like un. It, w- it would drive me crazy because I was like a little slut, and I I just was like in it for like the numbers game, and like I could not. I was like I can't crack this code. Like I don't. I was like I don't know what you want. Do you want a hair straightener? Like what do you, <laughs> you know? Because they would like they would like hang out with you and talk with you, but they would never. Too virtuous. They would just yeah. like sleep with themselves at I the end of the night, I guess. Yes, I have to um, go sleep with my sadness. Yeah, that's that's what would happen. It was very weird. Um, my friend Maria and I would always try and we would always try and figure out. We we called ourselves like the dick detectives, and we'd always try and like figure out, like figure out what their what their dicks looked like just based on like what they looked like, and we would draw them. To each other, like little notes. We'd be like, Did "I bet." Did you put this in like a, a zine? No, we just pass it back, and we just draw it on a napkin in the club. In a column itself. Um, but so there are all these nightlife photographers. The the misshapes they had a party at Dawn Hills. They were a DJ collective, very scene looking, um, and they would push you up against a wall and then someone would take your Polaroid and then I guess someone would take the pictures of the Polaroids and they there's a book, the Misshapes book and I believe I'm in that book. You can look for me. So shout out another it. famous Polaroid photographer. We Nick know. McManus! Where's my Polaroid? Yeah, Nick McManus has been, yeah. he's been shooting Polaroids more of the I guess punk and like underground, underground. rock scenes. The loft um, scenes. The loft scenes. The art galleries. The also he's the, like the street artist, the angel of death for like venue. Like if a venue is closing, he will legit be there. And he is the angel of death for venues, isn't he? he to capture every, every the last... major New York City closing. He's yeah, there. and um, he's he is like an angel because he like stands above you and there's like a flash of white light and then it's gone. But he takes giant group Polaroids. Yes, which is very it's very difficult to do with a Polaroid, but he does yeah. it. Yeah, he's like a he's like a cat. He can he's like he like clamber he clambers. He clambers and he climbs. <laughs> wrong? So we have a bunch of photos. Someone with, said wrong. With him, I guess. I don't know about the Polaroids. I don't know. Maybe he switched to digital. But no, he's sponsored, I believe, by like yeah. Fuji Film or Panasonic or somebody. He, he is. Yeah, he told me. Home. Yeah, he, he he's like, I get this shit for free. We have a lot of his Polaroids. Shout out. And we best. do. We have a ton of Polaroids and we haven't gone out of business yet. So. 
But yeah, the uh, misshapes that they like, they further pushed getting your picture taken. But they were banned too, right? Kind of. They were kind of like everything and nothing. And I used to hang out with their the the drummer of the misshapes band. Uh, I'm so, laughing because so they I played music, but, but the guy never really you saw never them. Saw him play drums. He did. He was freaking amazing. Um, oh. There was okay. Jackson, his Jackson, and then James. Okay, oh, he's not sponsored. He's not sponsored. Um, there was Jackson and James Paulus, and James would also hang. James was the goofy, like older brother who was also like very musically talented, who could sing, and we would like hang out together and he was ridiculous and he would get really high and like talk in a really high pitched voice and then the little little brother was like the drummer prodigy and uh he also had seen hair okay we would hang out sometimes that's that's the end of that one where are they now i do not know i guess that's true of a lot of people from New York City in the late 2000s. They, they were very, they were like very talented musicians though, but uh, kind of got like yeah, in this like little scene. Sidetracked by scene fame, I suppose. Yeah. That was like a, a joke in the, when I lived in the Kid and Lofts in like 2014, 2015, it was like famous in Bushwick. Hipster Hollywood! Hipster Hollywood. Because Drop the Lime lived right around there and like just a whole bunch of, you would see like, all these nightlife people at like the um, Brooklyn's yeah, Natural from, or whatever. From 2008 through yeah, roughly like to 2016 or whatever. Yeah, like Beirut lived in one of the McKibben lofts. Um, but yeah, the the fat Jew lived was, upstairs. Was well, lived actually, upstairs. didn't live upstairs. Uh, the rest of Team Facelift lived in, upstairs from us. I don't know if she lives in the hood. You said you like Grimes walking around. Grimes like, was always walking around. Walking always around the hood. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was, uh, it was its own, like, cute little mecca out there. And then there'd be a bunch of like celebrity sightings. Like, so there was one time when um, Madonna came to the Misshapes party at Don Hills, and I saw that, and that was that was cool. And, like, well, oh, yeah, I used to go go dance with Lady Gaga. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right before Perhaps she blew your up. Most, your most famous, yeah, Rush celebrity. Yeah. Right before she blew up. You said. You you were like, oh, I saw you at Summer Stage. Yes. That's where I knew her from. Like, Summer Stage, she was playing the piano with her whole body. Like, 2007. Yeah. And it was really cool. I was like, what a cool lady playing the <laughs> piano with her bod. And I told her that. And she was like, oh, my God. Thank you so much. <laughs> she had a very heavy New York accent. And then there was one day where we were at Don Hills. And we were at the this party called... Um, Glam, I think it was Glam Damn It, which was like another spinoff of like Rebel Rebel. It was like another <laughs> Bowie yeah, party. Bowie party. Yeah, there were so many Bowie parties. And she was supposed to sing as well as go-go dance. And her heel had broken off of her shoe. Mm. And she was wielding this heel. And she was like, she was like, I am too important. This is my three finger ring, by oh, the way. Yeah. Nice. I am too important, which was also big at the time, too important to be doing this in, for this because the venue was like kind of empty because it was raining and she just like walked out. And she had probably already at that point signed a multi-million dollar record deal or yeah. something and they were like, you can't tell anyone. And that was the last 
like you know six months from now when Poker Face comes out and then blah. That was the last time I saw her. But also, I mean, they would like correct. Like there would be a lot of music videos that would like get us to be in them because they needed scene kids. Right? Yeah. So you were in the NERD music video. Everybody knows. Was that an open casting call? How did they? No, they just. Um, I was in the club. I, I think it was at Webster Hall. And someone came up to me and was like, you are going to be in a music video this weekend. And I was like, okay. Nice. I like that. <laughs> I was like, all right, where? And it was at the VIP club, which is like on this a side street, like on 20th Street or something. And they, yeah, I actually have like a pretty big part in it where they drench, they, I'm acting like super dumb and they like sprayed the bar, like, spigot thing. They, like, drench me with water. Ooh, the seltzer gum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they got me really wet, and then I stole a bunch of the clothes from wardrobe because I was very cold. Mm-hmm. So. Only fair, I'm sure. Shout out to... And I got to dance with the nose, were. too. Okay. That was really... That was a fun time. I'm trying to think of the craziest thing that ever... What was your craziest thing? And in all of like going going, going out New York City nightlife, yeah. Um, I don't know. I was sure, like one cool one was like it was probably like 2013, 2014. I went to Webster Hall, uh, to see A Track, <gasps> and A Track was headlining. Um, Flustradamus. Yes. Was playing too, uh. But yeah, it was like a fool's gold like Webster Hall like, event, um, that was very cool, and I, yeah, I went with a, a roommate of mine at the time, Initiate Music is his name, he's, like, he is a DJ his and name? producer, yeah, he does, well, Nate, uh, his name, but Initiate is oh, his, like, okay. DJ name, um, but yeah, he does a bunch of, like, streaming on Twitch and other stuff about producing. Sir he's Nate, like right? A, is it Sir Nate? No, or no, not Sir Nate. Nate. Okay. No, Sir Nate is from Nate and Hilla. Uh, this guy, but yeah, Nate, Initiate Music, he's Canadian, um, but, uh, yeah, I was living with him in this, like, garage, uh, North 10th Street, so it must have been, shit, 2000, early 2013. Anyway, so we, we go to this, like, Webster Hall, and I met up with, uh, a girl I know, I knew who worked at Le Ben at the time, and she, uh, I guess was, like, like, managed to, like, talk her way through, like, offering, like, to hook some guy up to get him into, like, what's Le Ben's club, the Boom Boom Room? I think it's LeBen, it, right? I mean, it just is. Oh, it's a, yeah, LeBen <laughs> Hotel. Sorry. And to get him into LeBen, she was like, I'll guess this you if you can, like, hook us up. And, like, so she got her and myself into, like, the balcony seating above the main floor, which even in 2013 was so many, like, shirtless Jersey bros, like, in West. The was potty. Like, We're talking God. about potty monsters. The fucking, they're going to play the my, fucking potty monsters my... about pottying. Like, when they play the sound man but yeah but uh but they're i guess because they were like for the big shows they have like the main sound deck is on like the main floor there's like a whole like fenced in booth to like run the sound but they have an upper like mixing booth set up but like whatever happened in that show i don't know what they do with the vip tickets they didn't sell enough something but they were like only like a dozen people in the entire like balcony area of this like sold out packed show so we were just, like, 
hopped a little gate and then we were sitting like in the mixing booth in the balcony of like Webster Hall looking over and I was like this wow it's the absolute best seat in the house Pretty yeah cool. it's it's palatial that Webster and Hall that Webster Hall is palatial so I I actually haven't been there since the renovations since Bowery Presents took it over in like 2019 so we'll have to check it out at some point yeah but yeah that place has a ton of history so it's many floors cool. It does. Yeah, explore. I used to dance there a little bit, a the, little bit. I think I yeah. I will say the basement at Webster Hall is a great, great starting point yeah. for a lot of like famous, well-known scene DJs. Well, yeah, the um, DJ Jess R.I.P. was the DJ at Trash, the Trash Party, mm-hmm. and then th- that moved to the basement of Webster Hall. And then like years later, I actually saw him at Webster Hall. I went to go see like my friend DJ there, and DJ Jess was there and I was like hey and he tried to he didn't recognize me Mm. and he tried to like he was like trying to like move me off of him and then he like so he's grabbing me but then he like turned me back around and was like wait a second (laughs) he's like oh my god so I got one last like reunion yeah before before he passed away Um, I do uh, so one of the one of the, I have a crazy moment. So, pep, you know, Peppermint from from RuPaul's RuPaul's Drag Race, right? Mm-hmm. Peppermint used to be Peppermint Gummy Bear, and had she hosted these parties with uh, Michael T, and there were the motherfucker parties, and then there was also this party called Rated X, which was at uh, Luke and Leroy's, which is on Seventh Avenue South. I think it has like another name now. Okay. But they were really fun and they had like a I think they had like an 18 plus like they had a they would draw like X's on your hands if you were like they let it you in if you were 18. Gone are the days of uh yeah, Webster Hall is the only club I ever knew that did 19 plus. Nights. Don Hills did that too. Yeah. But So by the time I was 18 I was like, "Sweet, I can actually just go to this party." But yeah, the thing so, I know, I've never encountered anywhere else other than like New York City. Actually, it's like the—that's how precocious the kids are in New York City. No, you know, like nowhere else does this in America. It's twenty-one plus everywhere else. Yeah. But, well, because uh, they—they're like little kids want to see bands. I guess there's so many college kids who yeah. rarely go to the club. What are you gonna do? So I mean, I was—I was not a, a college kid. Put a big X on their hand and then be like, "All right, come on in." There's actually a picture of me with no clothes. Well, like almost no clothes and it, I'm just sitting in the staircase at rated X with X's on my hands and I'm like trying to look I'm like oh no well but peppermint gummy bear hosted this this contest every weekend called the hot body contest yeah and it was just like you would get on stage and like it was like by audience applause it was and a wet t-shirt contest no it was like you you would try and do like the most obscene stuff not to a win. dance contest no uh, the hot body contest it's an obscenity sort of and it, it was like a thing it was like a pink flamingo yeah, it was I was like, a say, pink was like a flamingo you know how she's trying to be the most disgusting yeah. person like that's what this contest so there was there there are two crazy things that i saw in this contest like a bunch of it was a lot of it was like seeing people just looking sad and but she was a fan of, like, seeing people, so she okay. would, you know, if, if they, like, showed a nipple, she, sometimes she'd be like, Great. okay, Come fine. Her looks okay. But there were some times where it just got really crazy. So there was this one, like, like 
voluptuous um because everyone was wearing spandex at that it was American apparel season. So like every it was just like spandex fanny pack. Kind of like now, right? So this one like very voluptuous woman just got like immediately naked, kept the fanny pack on, and then shoved I remember distinctly it was like a corona. She like shoved it inside of her and when she took it out there was there was like corona missing from from it and peppermint the look that you just had that peppermint gummy bear had that look and was like she was like okay like winner you know, it was it was normally like applause but i think yeah. she was like this one you, you got it yeah there was another time my friend entered and he had just gotten like a bunch of donuts from somewhere and he had started like squeezing the donuts all over it like so the in the jelly and the insides were coming but he got some on peppermint gummy she started she was like get off the stage <laughs> you naked white boy get off the stage that's great yeah so that was the, that was some fun times and then uh i was at the limelight then avalon it was like rebranded as the yeah. avalon for one of the last parties ever which was the motherfucker party forget what year it was like 2007 or 8 and it was um the cramps played there on Halloween. Mm. And uh yeah, that was also like an 18 plus thing. So I yeah, I went to that and I I wore God, I wore like a leopard bodysuit and like a, a pair of handcuffs, like one handcuff on my hand. And then some guy like handcuffed himself to me. And um nice. yeah, became my friend for like the next DJ Michael Mythics. Did you, I hope you had the key? Yes, I did. But it was kind of like an open, like, I think because a lot of my friends, like, wussed out. Like, they didn't want to go. So I, like, was there by myself. But I ended up making a ton of friends. And I got to see the cramps, like, play at, to me, it was, it was in my heart, the limelight, you know? Yeah. So it was, like, super cool. Those were some cool times. And then I went to Secret Loft. That was super cool. I know. One of the best clubs in New York City. Yeah. Which, you know, it is the best the best club in New York City. Mm-hmm. And uh, opening... Well, I mean, clearly we've studied our history. We have. So we know what to do. Pay our taxes. <laughs> We're going to pay our fucking taxes, number one. But yeah, number two is the... If we've learned anything tonight, I think, it's that, uh, right, very much like the... I don't know. If, can we sum it up into three points? Maybe? Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes, one. Two, the Democratic Party scene, sort of like, it should all be the people. Like, the top-down parties that are designed by somebody that everyone's supposed to, like, fit a vibe oh, yeah. don't work. Having Wait, can people I, can come I, up with something, um, making it of the I people. Can I amend, can I, like, amend okay. that rule? What's that? If the shit you're doing is good, it's good. And if it's bad, it's bad. Okay? <laughs> no, so, like... That's too vague. No, 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 like, like... There is such a thing as bad as like shitty art or mm. or like vapid in a non-ironic way art. And like mm. yeah, if you just hire people that are like talented and you work with people that are talented and like good people, then there okay. you go. You know? Yeah. And if you just because that's the thing, I feel like a this lot is of too, the, these aren't this no, come on. This, I was looking for bullet points here. This is way too if it's good, it's good, <laughs> and if it's bad, it's bad. Yeah. That was my amendment, and then I had to explain myself. Yeah. Well, because you didn't get it. 
Well, pay your taxes was an easy one. Yes. This that's much harder. Fuck nepotism. How about that? Okay. Number two was let. I was just gonna say let the people decide. Um, that can get dangerous. That can be like an animal farm <laughs> sort of situation. Yeah. Okay. True. True. Let let like what's good decide. Okay. That's what I'm <laughs> saying. All right. Like the the cream will rise to the to the to the, to the, to the <laughs> Okay. You have a third one. Mm, love saves the day. Uh-huh. I was um, gonna say. Oh, if you have a hunchback, just throw some glitter on it. Yeah. Okay. I was gonna say the. I think all the iconic clubs we've talked about, and this is important. It's not just your scene or the people. Is that the space matters? The the nightlife is emerging actually of light and sound and space. Well, okay, yeah. Yes, it's all those things together, though. Because if you have a really nice space, but you're just like, you suck, then your club is going to suck. Well, yes, because they didn't merge. They have to all be on the same page. Yeah, it's the je ne sais quoi. Sure, or the holistic experience of the whole event. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Je ne sais quoi says... That's there's no name for it. Right, there's I'm giving well, it a name. I'm saying I'm you can't. The, the the consumers can't put their finger on it, okay. but you can. Like you're sure. creating people, just be like, I don't know what it is about that. I place. just think so many of the things we talked about were iconic buildings where somebody decided it'd be fucking cool to have a party. You're just trying building. to make it about yourself. <laughs> I'm saying limelight, right? In like a church, Studio Fifty Four in a theater, the loft in a cool loft decorated like a birthday party, um, Webster Hall. Gorgeous giant theater. Um, and, you know, even today's. Well, I don't know. Okay, it's wait. Okay, place. okay. Let's, start, okay. Let's gorgeous, do it again. Gorgeous Let's do it again. spaces to throw so, a party in. Pay your taxes. Also, you have to really care, and it has to be your passion. I think that's what we were trying to say. Because I think a lot no, of. I would, I would never say that. I mean, that's not. I don't think that's what <laughs> it has I was to be your passion. Right? <laughs> You have to call your place the loft. <laughs> Number two, if it's good, it's good. Number two, B, architecture is important. Number three, F. Number three, F. Save the day. Subclause two. Take your tits out. Okay. Um, once you walk in the door, you've given us your consent. <laughs> That's, that's, that's our policy. Not, that's not the policy. If you have a problem with it, <laughs> we'll refund your ticket. <laughs> you yeah. If you want to go on the VIP, gotta um, get, gotta be good at doing head. Don't hide your money in air conditioners. That's a good one. True. Um, there's a lot of small. Like, don't kill. Don't. Thou shalt oh, not yeah. kill. Now we're going. Now we're, we're redoing the ten commandments. The ten commandments last, of club. The ten club episode, commandments. Ten club commandments. Oh, we should. All right, we'll publish that coming out soon. But yeah. maybe we'll present it this Saturday. Yeah. For review. Let's wrap it up. We really do know what we're talking about, though. We, you'll see. Uh, we'll see you this Saturday, 9 to 11 p.m. EST on uh, on Twitch. It's better watched on Twitch. You can tune in on Instagram, but you should really do it on Why Twitch. would you do that? It'll just sound like a loud-ass phone in a room. Word. Check out Twitch.tv. Yeah. Dr. Lawrence will chat with you, it's and you get a green screen. Ooh, girl. But And you're going to see DJ Karen, too. Yeah, DJ Karen, maybe cool some other people, on. definitely me, on some aerial stuff with some more looks. And we'll be going through the history of New York City Nightlife. So we'll be cruising through, yeah, disco, post-punk, 90s dance, 
and the whole uh, 2010s kind of hipster scene. The Seamsters! Um, I don't even know what that was. Like, uh, yeah, the world music Diplo takeover era, too. White tees and, and Moomba, white belts. There might be some Moombaton in there. <laughs> there are like one or two Moombatons. White tees and white belts. That's a. Yeah. So we'll see you there. All right. Should we, uh, Macaulay Culkin, play us yeah. out? Yeah. Thanks for joining us uh, this Thank evening you. at Club Secret Loft. Yes. Also, yeah. If, uh, give us five stars and give us, a, if you give us a cute review, we'll read it. Rate this podcast. We'll review. Rate it five stars, though. If any other rating, no. I'm just starting with the song. So from Party Monster. Mm-hmm. Oh, these are the three rules. Money, success, fame, glamour. Oh, those are like, those <laughs> like more three than rules. Three. Yeah, money, success, fame, glamour. Here, get, get in here for a screen. My art. This is my most famous art that I. God, Warhol would love the idea of putting a suit can on a t shirt. Yeah, made out of hot glue. What? Yeah. He would wear it. Totally. Do they even have hot glue back then? I don't think they had t shirts back then.